Welcome to the Expat Rewind. My name is Stephanie and I will be your host in this experience. What we're doing in this podcast is reaching back into the first year of an expat or geopath existence into something they put online, whether it was via a blog, Facebook, Instagram, any sort of social media feed or an email that they sent to a group of people that they knew. And we're going to reach back into that post where they told the world about their experience as an expat at Geopat. And then the expat at Geopat will reflect on what they think of, what they wrote, what they've learned since then, and anything else that comes up as they're reading that online experience that they posted all those years ago. I will label the podcast as such so you know if it's the ongoing narrative of my own blog or if it's a post from one of our guests. Okay, so what I'd like to do at the beginning of the episodes before we start with the reflective bit is uh, twofold. One, I want to share some feedback from you, the listeners. And two, I need to do some advertising. Yeah, you heard me. It's reality, man. Let's face it. Okay, so first things first, feedback. Now, I learned a very powerful lesson this week, and I need to take a sip of coffee before I tell you this, because it's so embarrassing. (sighs) Yeah, I'm going to leave that in there. All right, so I was on vacation for a week, and I received the most wonderful feedback about Expat Rewind. And I thought I took a screenshot of it and saved it, and I didn't. And I'm going to tell you what I remember about this the feedback, but I do not have a copy of it, so I cannot give a name or, um, or a proper shout-out to the person. But if uh, this sounds familiar to you and you know who you are, please let me know. I want to thank you properly for saying this wonderful, wonderful information to me. So, what was the message? The message was twofold. One, it was in appreciation for the longer form of the podcast. These tend to run about an hour and a half in length and um, I tried to squish them at some point, but I just like the breathing room that they have, so I'm going to let them go out into the world as they are. I tried to put them into part one, part two, and um, a few, even just a few episodes ago, and it just didn't work well. I felt like that disrupted the, the, the rhythm of the conversation. So forget it. No, they're just going to exist as they are. And I trust that as an adult listener, you have the ability to come back to a podcast that you want to listen to if you have to stop listening at any given point. And thank you for that feedback because that reassures me that people can manage their media. The second thing that she said that was so wonderful, and I do remember it being a woman because I tend to click on profile photos and information, see if they have projects and that kind of thing. The second thing she said is that I made her commute to work so much better. And this makes me so happy. I used to commute about 90 minutes each way when I lived in Japan a few times. And they were three-month contracts, so that sounds weirder than it does. But anyway, it was 90 minutes each way. And although I was into podcasting before that, that process of 90 minutes on a train really, really got me further and further into more and more podcasts. So if I can make somebody else's work commute better, I feel like it's part of the symbiotic system that we're in in the audio world. So thank you very much for that feedback. I'm sorry I can't put a name here to say thank you Mm, for that feedback. And no, that's not an expletive. That's meant to be a name. So please do contact me if you are that person. I want to give you a proper shout out. We have a few different ways that you can feedback. So if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com forward slash contact, let me do that a little slower. S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot 
w-e-e-b-l-y.com forward slash contact. You'll see all kinds of ways you can contact me and let me know what you think of this podcast. I have email, WeChat if you're in China or uh, have used WeChat before and are still signed up, Twitter, LinkedIn, and my new favorite thing is SpeakPipe. Over on the right-hand side of that page, you'll be able to leave a sound recording, basically a voice message. You just hit the start recording button that's in bright orange and uh, once you preview it and, and decide that you want to send that message, you press send and I receive an email with the voice message. I can also respond in a voice message there as well. It's a really, really cool feature. I can't believe they have this available for free, but until they get smarter about that, I'm going to take advantage of it because it is such a cool feature. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your input. Okay, the second thing is Amazon, Amazon Affiliate. Yeah, I know what you're going to say, and I really don't have a problem with Amazon. Again, just like with controlling your own media usage, I feel like people can control their own consumption usage. When I lived in the middle of the U.S., I found it really helpful without to live without a car and to use public transportation and to have Amazon deliver things that really, really would don't, don't go on a bus. <laughs> so I found Amazon delivery services really, really useful. And so I'm excited to have an affiliate link with them. Here's how it works. You don't pay anything. You also don't get a discount. But when you shop normally with the link in the show notes that I'll give you, um, I get a slight percentage of what you buy when you purchase something with my Amazon affiliate link. That's it. That is the whole story. I've never done this before, so I'm not entirely sure how well this works. So please do feedback to me if you if you go to the link and something weird happens, let me know and I will sort it out. Their customer service for this program is actually very quick uh, in responding. So we'll figure it out. I'm pretty sure it's not it's it's uh, a no-brainer. You click on it, you order, you pay. And then I will see some money show up on my account. And considering how much technology I need to get for the podcast, because I'm still working on one of those clip-on shirt mics, um, I, I, I need some funding. <laughs> Let's face it. I can't go on for free forever. I have a couple of other affiliate programs set up, affiliate codes, but I don't want to do multiple advertisements in one area. I'm going to try to space this out. These are all things that I've handpicked that I think will make your life easier. I don't want to have random advertisements that don't uh, that don't seem to fit the audience. And I'm trying to get some information about you, where you are, who you are, what kind of lifestyle you lead. I'm, I'm assuming, if you're listening to this, that we have something in common. So for now, I'm using some of that information handy. And it looks like about half of you are in the US. So um, I believe the link I have right now is Amazon US. Uh, if there are some of you outside of the U.S., let me know and I will do the rest of the paperwork to get other country Amazon links set up so we can set up those affiliate programs. It is a, it is a slow-growing process, but I promise I want these things to help you, not to just be a few extra minutes of blabbing into your earbuds that uh, that is unnecessary. That is so not the point of any of this. Yes, I do need the funds, but I also want this to improve your life too. All right, let's get on to the podcast. A few months ago, I discovered the Rocor account, We Are Expats, and I'll put that in the show notes. It's basically a recurring Twitter account where each week they select one expat to show their city that they're living in 
And、uh, I followed a few people first before I decided to volunteer and、uh, as the expat of the week, so to speak, for the account because I wanted to make sure they were showing more than just the first year side, more than just the tourist side. I wanted to make sure that what I like to display about where I am, about the daily life stuff and the deeper stuff and the, the interest stuff, that that was okay and that was in line with what they wanted, that basically we had the same goals. And this is the place where I met. Allison. Allison is from the US. She used to live in Thailand, and a few months ago she moved to the Czech Republic for reasons that you'll hear about during this conversation. Allison had such a good sense of humor, and she took lots of pictures of food, but then people and her own experiences. It was a really interesting mix of many different parts of an expat life the good parts, the, the challenging parts. The, the super highs, the super lows, and everything in between, and not everything, but a lot of stuff in between. And so I started to follow her personal account when her week was up, and we've been pinging back and forth、uh, since then. To, to understand as expats, you know, sometimes you go home and you can't really describe a lot of what you've experienced because it's so outside the realm of what people have experienced, and they just have no way to connect. But as two people who have lived in multiple countries outside our home country, it was completely normal for us to connect on things that we missed in the other countries that are not our home country. Like we were expat sick. We were expat sick of, for places that we can't call home, but that felt like home on some level. And that's a connection that I felt with Allison very early on. Anyway, she was also a complete another delight to interview, but you'll, you'll hear that part yourself. And Allison has so many varied interests, and she works with technology, about technology, all that kind of good stuff. So I also dragged her into, <laughs> actually, she willingly volunteered to be on the Virtual Expat podcast as well. So you'll hear her. Later on in this season, over on the Virtual Expats podcast. I couldn't resist having someone so insightful and so funny and so wonderful on both podcasts. So, if you like what you hear here with、uh, her insights into the expat adventure, then by all means look out for her later on in the Virtual Expats podcast. All right, without further ado, let's talk about Allison's first year in Thailand. Thank you, Allison, for joining us for the Expat Rewind podcast, season two.、Hi. We're going visual. We're going to do an Instagram feed today as a new,、uh, Allison, you're going, to,、um, you're going to be our first Instagram feed reflection expat. That's a long title. How do you like it? Write <laughs> it under my name. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So, in like, I don't know, one or two sentences or something, do you want to tell our audience something about yourself? Yeah, so、uh, my name is Allison Machewski, Machewski, however you want to go.、Um, I am an expat currently. I live in Prague, Czech Republic, but I moved here from Thailand and I was living in Thailand for about four and a half years.、Um, so I'm, today I'm going to go, go through some of my old Instagrams about my first year living in Thailand and talk about what it's like to be. An expat, you know, for the first time in a new country and, and some of the things that you go through.、Um, and I'm really excited to be, to be on the podcast today. So thanks. Thank you. All right. And、uh, if I remember correctly, the time frame of the pictures we're going to look at is like end of 2013, early 2014? Yep. I left, I was living in the US in the Bay Area at the time. 
and I had a career job and I quit my NGO career because I wanted to live abroad again. I did a study abroad in Spain back in 2004. I think I might be dating myself now. I was in college back then. And then I lived in Ireland for a year in 2010 to 2011. Went back to the U.S. for family reasons, and then when all of that cleared up, I wanted to go abroad again, and I decided on Thailand. And so I left end of, I think, October 2013. That started my first year living in Asia. Awesome. And for the listeners, just so you know, uh, Allison is also going to make a guest appearance on the Virtual Expat podcast later on in this season. So stay tuned. She'll be over there in a few weeks. I'll probably add the date. (laughs) They're all over the place. Thank you for that. All right. So let's dig in to the first photo, the pool photo. Why did you select this one? When I first moved to Thailand, I I guess I thought in my mind that I was going to be like, I guess when people think about Thailand, you think about backpacker style. You think about uh, living cheaply. You think about, um, I don't know, sort of like this backpacking no frills, minimalist vacation kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not really that kind of person. So I don't know when I got to Thailand, I was shocked because I realized that not everyone lives like that. Clearly it it was a lesson for me that Thailand is a place where a lot of Mm -hmm. people live, not just foreigners, but clearly a lot of Thai people live and Mm -hmm. they live in a very uh, modern city. Bangkok is like a huge metropolis Mm -hmm. has like 18 million people. And it's just like an extremely modern place. It's not countryside. It's not like a, the whole city is not like some weird backpacking hostel Mm -hmm. place. So when I got there, I, I was able to live in this lovely, lovely building and it was, and probably forever will be the nicest place I've ever lived from my salary as a manager at an NGO, I was able to go to Thailand and afford a beautiful modern condo high rise apartment. Sure. Uh, Had a rooftop pool on the sixth floor. And I was a little shocked when I arrived because I didn't know that my money would go that far. Yeah. So when I started looking for apartments and my real estate agent was taking me to places like that, I didn't believe I could live there. Yeah. Do you remember how much it was? Yeah, it was for, um, I moved with my girlfriend. So the two of us were paying together before Mm -hmm. utilities, less than $800 a month. One bedroom, two bedroom, bedroom. one bedroom apartment, just like, I mean, like a regular one bedroom apartment, pretty small, but we we don't like a lot of space. And so we had that, we had a gym in the building. We had the pool, we had a beautiful lobby, security guards when we walked up, um, incredibly safe and right in the middle of downtown um, Mm -hmm. in Tonglaw, which is Mm -hmm. one of the coolest neighborhoods in Bangkok. So So, I was, I was happy and I don't know if I'll ever live in a place like that again, but it was cool. (laughs) While I was there, let's quickly describe what's in the photo. And for the listeners, we're going to put the links in the show notes. So yeah, so we'll have that. But just in case you don't want to do that and you want to imagine it in your head, Allison, can you quickly describe what we're looking at here? Yeah. So what? At the time I took this picture, I was sort of in awe. I was standing on one of those elliptical machines. Mm-hmm inside my gym's fitness room, which is like the tiny uh, inside my condo's fitness room, Mm -hmm. looking out onto a massive like 30 meter pool with like floating beds, like sun beds in the water, 
Like on the right hand side of the pool, there were like little cabanas to lay on. And then in the distance, you can see part of downtown Bangkok. And then this is on the sixth floor rooftop. So you can just sort of see like all these trees and plants. And it's kind of like a luscious fancy pants looking place. That is, it is beautiful. It's absolutely, you do want to go to the show notes. You don't have to, cause it's a bit, it's an audio thing, but you do want to take a look at this. Now, what is the, okay. So you, can you read the caption real quick? Yeah. I, it says first workout in my building's fitness. So that's the word they use for like an, an in condo gym. And yeah, I yeah, was yeah. learning that as I was looking around at condos, they were calling it the fitness. So Oh, okay. Not the gym, not the rec center, not the sports center, but the fitness. The huh. fitness. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah. And let's see the next the protest one. Yeah. The next picture is, it's an image of, um, so the main road in Bangkok is called Sukhumvit Road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the largest roads in all of Southeast Asia. It goes across many countries, but it's also the main highway through Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Not highway. It's just the main drag. I would say within a couple of months, a couple of weeks after arriving in Bangkok, there started to be trouble. Basically, a lot of people were protesting in Bangkok. And in the picture, what you see is the road, just the main road, just full of people. It's Mm -hmm. got like cars and flags and there were people whistling and people with megaphones and you mostly see Thai flags. And in the photo, you'll notice a lot of people are wearing yellow shirts. So it was a real introduction to Southeast Asian politics Mm -hmm. to understand what was going on in Thailand and to try and quickly educate myself about what these people were protesting about and what was Mm -hmm. going on in the country. Did it feel unsafe as you were like taking pictures of this and seeing all of this go down or did it just feel like? So it didn't feel unsafe. Uh, um, In the picture, this is actually the BTS station. So Mm -hmm. above where I'm standing is from the SkyTrain looking Mm -hmm. down, but on that right side is my building where I live. Oh, okay. That's in front of my house, literally. Oh, wow. Um, It didn't feel unsafe because the people were protesting peacefully. Mm -hmm. Um, There were police around, but at the Mm -hmm. time I don't think I was aware of like police corruption and things like that, but I felt it was generally safe until they started having random bombings throughout the city. Mm -hmm. As that started to happen and it was happening in public places like MBK mall, like outside of Siam Paragon, which is a very popular shopping mall where I used to go. That's when I started looking into the history of what had gone on in Thailand in previous uh, political unrest situations. They had burned down an entire mall um, um, a couple years prior. So when they started having these random bombings and they started talking about potentially another coup, I started to have to learn about the Thai history very quickly and and consider what might happen to me. Should I stay? Would it be safe for me to be out and about my shopping? Things like that. Random question, uh, not random, but a question about Thai politics. They have coups quite often, right? Yes, I think they've had something like 11 or 12 successful coups in the history since they became a constitutional monarchy in the 30s, 1930s. Wow. Wow. Or before that. Yeah. So the military is incredibly involved in their politics. Mm -hmm. The government is usually considered to be sort of a populist 
government, mm-hmm. the military is considered to be more loyal to the Thai royal family. Mm-hmm. As you may or may not know, they have a law called Le Majeste, which means within the country, you can't talk openly right. in public or to journalists about the royal family whatsoever, yeah. um, or you'll be thrown in jail. So there's, I learned a lot quickly about, you know, I wanted to learn a lot too from Thai people, but there were things that they didn't want to talk about openly and certainly not with a foreigner. So I had to do a lot of online research and I still have a lot of questions. It's very complicated. So, Oh, sure. For sure. For sure. Wow. And that was, that was a few months in after you moved there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So these protesters are the yellow shirts. They would be loyal to the Royal family to the, they would be for the military junta that ended up being hold of the country and remains in power today. So this was back in December of 2013, and now we're in September 2018. The same military junta is in power in Thailand today. Just wow. And nobody's voted since then. <sighs> so well, that was interesting to see yeah. um, from an expat perspective because mm-hmm. it was certainly happening right in front of me. Mm-hmm. But it's also concerning a lot of things that don't necessarily touch me and and affect my life until the bombing started happening. And I started wondering, should I leave? Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I ended up staying things calmed down because of the uh, military crackdown. That sounds horrible, but the violence sort of calmed down. And then I just sort of wanted to stay and understand what was going on more than, yeah, more than anything. So. It's bringing back a lot of memories. (laughs) I wish it hadn't, but it is, it's amazing how similar and different experiences are and so similar, so similar. Like when I was in in Buenos Aires, Argentina, I was only there, I think six months and there were protests all the time, very peaceful people just walking down the street with banners or just chanting something very kind of quietly and peacefully and whatever. So I got used to those happening all around the city. This is when I traveled and lived overseas alone. When we moved to Malaysia, a month after, or a few weeks? No, it was a week after we got married. Uh, there were, there was like a protest in this, uh, like we were staying at a hotel while we were looking for an apartment because we were moving there. And, um, and we used to do it backwards where we'd move and then find jobs. We don't do that anymore. But anyway, so like, <laughs> well, it depends on where you're going, but we've, we've sure. done this now since 2003 and it's just, we needed to do something different after a while but and this is one of the reasons why is because we moved there we were in this hotel we went across the street to the mall and we were in the starbucks and the the crowds appeared and i coming from the context of oh it's probably just peaceful they don't look like they're going to do anything and my husband's like hell no because he came from korea where apparently things do get a little bit uh, aggressive yeah. during their protests and he's like we're going back to the hotel the second we got into the room we saw the uh, the the police had set off the um which we got the tear gas and we yeah. saw the gas like going up from the mall. <laughs> I was like, okay, so noted. Yeah. yeah, because on one hand, all of your life experience, like especially as an event, is that this is a peaceful protest and yeah. the police are there to keep us safe. Right. Um, and all of that, and then you sort of have to not just reevaluate. I mean, that's mm-hmm. obvious, but you have to get real comfortable with the idea that like the police in this country mm-hmm. perhaps will shoot into a crowd of innocent people. Yeah. 
And the people will also fight back and have no regard for human life. And there's not this big protection for the freedom of speech. And you have to be really careful. I mean, it's not a joke. For sure. For sure. And it's not like that doesn't happen in the U.S., but I feel like because I'm a citizen, I would have more rights to fight back. Whereas in a foreign country, for me, I know I have absolutely no rights and my country is certainly not going to come and protect me (laughs) if I get myself into a load of shit, especially living there illegally while I look for work that will be legal eventually. You know, it's just this whole like, what have I just done? People think their embassy is there to help them and the embassy is there to help you. But if you are doing something considered illegal in that country, such exactly. as participating in political protests, exactly. Yeah. You're going to jail. Yes. There's something the embassy, the embassy's not going to save you. They're not going to send yeah. you home. They're going to leave you in jail because you, yeah. Yeah. You deserve to live. Like that's what happened. You did something illegal. So it's, it's kind of scary. <laughs> To be fair, not to scare people, but to be fair, if you are dealt with in a way that doesn't make sense, if you're completely innocent or what have you, and something happens, then your your embassy chances are will probably come to your rescue. Yeah, they'll step in. They'll step in. But yeah. I think you have to also learn the local laws and and yeah. see what would really happen because your rights in your home country are not the same. And exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. But yeah, what a lesson to learn. (laughs) All right. So then we're moving on to Cambodia. What's happening here? Oh, yeah. So this is a picture of me in Cambodia. When I first arrived in Thailand, I had, um, so I'm standing, I'm on the Cambodian border. I'm near a casino. It's a spot that people often cross over and do something called a visa run. Mm -hmm. And a visa run is when you're, you're, in my case, my visa exempt status, um, which gives me 30 days to be in Thailand, or mm-hmm. I think at the time I had an extended tourist visa. So that might've been the end of 90 days. Mm-hmm. When that's up, you have to leave the country mm-hmm. because you want to have a passport that's clean and doesn't have any overstay or anything like that. So you leave the country, you walk across the border, you have lunch, have mm-hmm. a soda, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you get, you walk yourself back across the border, back into the country, get on a bus and go home. And it yep. takes about an entire day. It's not a pleasant trip, but some people do this for years and years on end. And I did it twice. Mm-hmm. And I realized that this is not for me and I'm going to figure out my legal status quickly yeah. and um, not have to worry about doing visa runs anymore. But it was interesting to me to have my first trip to Cambodia be to step across the border and go back the same way. Right, 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 right. Now you look like you're smiling in the picture though. Yeah, I think I had um, fun. (laughs) It was my first time going to Cambodia. I I got on a bus with a bunch of strangers, a guy that was kind of like an older creepy guy. (laughs) No. (laughs) Thailand expat guy was on the bus and sort of befriended me. Yeah. Um, I kind of chit chatted with him and maybe I can't remember. We might've split a carton of cigarettes. We bought them in Cambodia, which they're horrible quality. Anyway, we went across the border, Yeah, bought some cigarettes, went to a casino, walked around. Didn't, I didn't gamble cause I wasn't interested. And then, uh, got back on the bus with all the same people and, yeah. and rode back to Bangkok. So there's it, like in front of a shrine. I think there's like a little, elephant and I think by that by that time I clearly had learned about how to why and and do the nice bow in front of the temple with my hands folded Mm -hmm. so 
I was trying to show off my good manners, I think. (laughs) Having not known the context, I would have been like, oh, you were, you were in Cambodia that day. Like, it would be like, oh, you went, you went on a vacation. (laughs) It looks like I'm on a fun trip and people would be like, wow, that's so cool that you get to do that. And, you know, it's cool, but it's also an expense and it's also kind of a hassle and yeah. Um, a, a good motivation to take care of your status. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 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 Would you like to go back to something you put online your first year in a new country? Maybe it reflects your struggles. Maybe it reflects your honeymoon period. Maybe it reflects all of those. It could be something visual like photographs, an Instagram feed with pictures, Facebook. It could just be written tweets over the course of the year. It could be a blog. We certainly aren't going to abandon that completely in season two. We're just going to add more to it. If you're doing a YouTube channel, or something along those lines, we could review those videos that you did that first year. It's really, really open to whatever it is that you put out into the world about your expat experience, that first challenging, intense year, that roller coaster ride of a year. I want to interview you. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Contact me at Steph Fuccio, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O at gmail.com. If you didn't write that down, all the information's in the show notes. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this conversation. All right. So then we're moving on to the group photo. Why can I not find it? Oh, this one looks like so much fun. So there's people in this photo, right? Yeah. So this is actually a picture of my first Songkran. I guess this would have been in April. Okay. Wait, Uh, your first what? Songkran. Songkran is the Thai New Year. And the new year, there's like a giant water festival. People in the tourist areas, people think it's a water fight, but it's not really a fight. It's like supposed to be about renewal and refreshing and washing everything clean. And so Mm. it's maybe similar to other Asian um, traditions where you clean off the house during New Year's, pick everything up, you wash everything nice and clean, put it all back, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So I was, when I first got to Thailand, that's, so that's me, the one soaking wet with the tights on. That's my girlfriend on my back. Stacey. <laughs> um, the other two girls are, there's Bo, a Thai girl, and then Lisa, a Mexican lady that um, they co-own a restaurant in Bangkok called Tacos and Salsa, near and dear to my heart because I made friends with them because I love Mexican food and then ended up uh, managing the restaurant for a year and a half. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a good a good way to make friends. But there, it was way before I worked at the restaurant. That's mm-hmm. we went to the restaurant to go eat, mm-hmm. and they decided to introduce us to the Songkran tradition. Oh no! <laughs> that includes dumping water on all kinds of people. It was just like, and you pour water on anybody. It's there's no there's no choice in it. You just yeah. do. Yeah. And so you and you accept it kindly, and you do it to other people kindly, and. Yeah. It's really fun. So um, that's just us soaking wet and playing all day long at the restaurant. And the restaurant was soaked, drenched, and of course, it's very nice and clean after that. <laughs> I was going to say, because Bangkok is like a lot of Southeast Asia, very hot and humid. So then when you throw water on someone, like you're just basically sticky all day then, right? <laughs> I mean, 
it's kind of like a car wash. Like you get they <laughs> put ice in the water to make it extra cold. It's really shocking. Oh. Um, and then in between that, they're throwing baby powder at you and sort of yeah. wiping it on your face and then the cold water and then yeah. the powder. It's kind of like an all day long thing. What's the deal with the powder? Is that supposed to represent something or is that just a cruel trick? <laughs> um, it's definitely part of it. I wish I knew more about it, but there's always powder and they're usually trying to rub it on your cheeks. It kind of looks a little like the Burmese Tanakan, but I don't know if that's related, the little makeup that they put on. In uh, okay, okay. But I don't think it's related. I think it's just, I don't know, just put some powder on and then throw water on top, kind of like blessing and New Year and things like that. Wow. I'm sure wow. there's more to it. I wish I was more educated about why, but I just mostly played every year, so. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's a really, really fun photo. Oh my gosh. And it was nice because it's not in the tourist area. It's just down in front of the rest. That's mm -hmm. the restaurant on mm -hmm. Soy 18. So we're just down at the end of our Soy. All the neighbors were shooting each other with hoses and running out with buckets. And it was just nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had actually heard about the festival, but I didn't realize it was a, the cleansing bit. I, I didn't actually, I've never looked into the backstory, but that's very cool. That makes a lot of sense now that you've mentioned that, that, yeah, because that is prevalent a lot. Yeah, and they have similar festivals in all of the Southeast Asian countries, mm -hmm. but yeah. Was that so the I first might... festival that you experienced in Thailand? Yes. Yeah. And it's the biggest festival of the year and it was Super cool. I think I played, they call it playing water when you're like up for it and you go outside and let people get you. Yeah. So I think I played water for about two or three years until I sort of got like a bad attitude and didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I would hide away in my apartment after that. So so what, what month does that happen in? Is that January or February or is it in April? April. April. Oh, okay. I think it, huh, sweet. All right. And then we've got a little girl on the street. Yeah, that's, um, so this is in Jang, this, what you're looking at is a large picture of a highway on the left, with a mm -hmm. bunch of taxis coming at me. Mm -hmm. And then in front of me, sort of like a walkway that's barriered off. And this mm -hmm. is outside of the Don Mulung airport mm -hmm. in Jang Watana area of Bangkok. Mm -hmm. This is, this is actually the location where if you don't want to deal with the taxi drivers that are trying to scam tourists and all that, you can walk out of the airport to a different, to the main road and then mm -hmm. hop over the fence and catch a taxi without dealing with the weird price hikes. Me coming home from some trip mm -hmm. and going to grab a taxi, but it's also a picture of a child, a little girl, maybe about seven mm -hmm. with the parent and they were clearly working together. Um, the two of them picking up trash on the side of the road. Okay. The, the parents on the road, right? And then there's the barrier and then the child's on this, the sidewalk. Is that a sidewalk? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like a sidewalk. So, and they've both got like coverings on their face. So this mm -hmm. is something that somebody who works outside all day in the sun will use to protect their skin. So they're mm -hmm. clearly working and planning to be outside all day. Right. Um, and I think this, I took a picture and you can't see any of their faces. So it's not an attempt to sort of be like, oh, look at this. It's just me 
pointing out that there are things that I started to see and mm -hmm. things that I started to get used to mm -hmm. in my first year living in Southeast Asia that I didn't want to get used to. Mm -hmm. And one of those would be children working. I noticed a lot of construction sites that had a lot of children working at them. I noticed um, like all over Southeast Asia mm -hmm. and often at the time, I think the caption says this is a little Thai girl, but now I look back at it years later and I think this is probably not a Thai girl. It's probably a little girl from one of the neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. There are people from Burma and Cambodia and Laos who go to Thailand for work, uh, who go to Thailand attempting to gain mm -hmm. refugee status right. and for a number of other reasons. And um, there is no refugee status in Thailand. So mm -hmm. a lot of them work illegally live illegally yeah. and do whatever it is they can to survive because it's better than where they're coming from. And I think um, right. children working to help the family business is something that's very accepted in the West. We tend to put a number on that, like an age cap, like sure. maybe they can start helping when they're 12 or when they're 14 or when they're 16. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that age cap a lot in Southeast Asia. So for me, it was kind of a reminder that, even though I see this a lot and I see children working and, you know, at food stalls and yeah. in construction sites and here cleaning the road, it's, it's yeah. not something that I should get used to. Yeah. 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 It's also really interesting with the context that it's so close to an airport, which is kind of like a, a posh exotic place that takes you all over the world. Right. And then you've got that situation right there. Yeah. I'm just trying to, the yeah. adult is wearing like a vest. I don't know if you can zoom in on that, but it's, she's got the, the adult has on, I think it might've been the mother has on like a reflective vest. So mm -hmm. that's clearly their job. And the child is there with the parent at right. their job all day long outside in the sun. And it's not nice weather. Right. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's rough. I think it's, yeah. Oh, we'll get to that later. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh man. There's so much to think about with that. Okay. Let's finish the descriptions and then we'll come back to that one. We're going food now. Sausage time. <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> okay. So this next picture is from a trip I took to Nakhon Phnom in Isan, which is the North East region of Thailand. I took a trip to this city on the border of the Mekong River between Laos and Thailand. Mm -hmm. And um, it was my first trip to Isan. And this was some of the best street food I had. The picture is a bunch of coils of little sausages. Mm -hmm. They're called Baikrok Isan. And the sausages are about like the size of a golf ball, maybe yeah. smaller. Mm. And they're all linked up together and they put them on these outdoor grills and they smell amazing. Mm -hmm. And you can just, and they're super inexpensive there. I think they were one bot per ball. And that's, I mean, what is that? Per like, ball or per the ring of them? One bot per ball. Per so ball. Okay. Let me, let me calculate it real fast. <laughs> one divided by, what is that? Like almost less than three cents per ball. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So you could just get a little string of 10 uh, meatballs or sausages and mm -hmm. then, then you get good. a little 
bag of like vegetables and chilies to eat with it. And then you just like pop them in your mouth and walk around eating all day. It is so great. (laughs) (laughs) That this actually reminds me of Prague. (laughs) Cause I, I was backpacker chic when I was in Prague years and years and years and years and years ago. And there was, I don't even remember which big kind of touristy area street. It wasn't near the clock, but it was another area kind of near there. And there Uh was a sausage guy, just like a food stand. And he had these amazing big, like equivalent of $1 sausages. And that was like my breakfast and lunch every day. And then I need something else in the evening. But that one sausage was so, (laughs) so filling. Yeah. You just find the thing that you really like. Yeah. And you go back for it every single day. Every because you can. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So what was the most surprising? Like, do you remember what you were thinking? Were you thinking I'm going to like this? I'm not going to like this or what we, I knew I would like it. There's listen, there's not much. I don't like, first of all, I will <laughs> eat anything. And I like almost anything. And Thai food is incredible. So yeah, this just reminds me of my first year because it was the, f- every single thing I found on the streets of Thailand was delicious. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I went to all the new regions of the country, I started finding that there were different regional cuisines and, you know, with slightly different flavor. And I started to learn a little bit more of the complexity behind regional Thai food. And so I'm a former chef. I'm obsessed with food. I write for F&B. I do food writing now. And I I just love food. Mm-hmm. I love to eat. Yes. And I think the food there is incredible. And um yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite, I don't even know how to categorize, one of my favorite meats. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. One of my favorite yeah. foods in all yeah. of Thailand is the saikrok. And I like spicy, so yeah. they come with little green chilies that you just pop mm. whole in your mouth, and they're so good. But these these specific sausages are made with fermented rice and mixed with pork. So they've got a real sour flavor, and it's really, really nice. Love fermented rice. Yeah. Love fermented rice. It's a fairly new thing for me, but seriously, I really wish I was on the fermented wagon 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. um, I've tried to make fermented things and I'm not good at it. So I leave it up to the experts. I, I I'm buy it from them. going to be trying to make a fermented cucumber thing soon. I finally got the jar, the perfect jar, and I'm I'm going to try it. I'm pretty sure it's going to be awful, but I, I hope it works out for you because I think you, I think it would be really like you would just feel like a champion if you could come away with like a giant I would, vat I would. of something pickled and fermented. I've always gotten a giant vat of mold and had to dump it. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm not good at that. <laughs> we are even going to Japan like next week. And that's where I, I ate. I, I'm sure it exists in multiple cultures, but the place I got addicted to it was in Japan and we're going uh-huh. there, but because it's a fermented thingy, it's all liquidy and stuff. And there's no way I'm going to buy it and bring it back with me. So yeah. I have to eat it while I'm there. And then I have to learn how to make it because no, we have tons of Japanese stores in Shanghai and nobody sells it. They sell What's it called? Everything. I don't even know what it's called in Japanese. Honestly, I would just. Oh, but it's kind of like a cucumber pickle thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the daikon, like the because they have they have kimchi too, but it's a much sweeter version of the Korean kimchi. Um, the little pink daikon that they stick next to like katsu curry rice. The the purpley one with the the little strips. Oh no no no. Okay okay. Like, have you gone for like Korean barbecue? The white stuff in strips that they give you at a side dish that that cools your mouth. Oh, yeah. That's not the cucumber. That's the daikon. So that 
yeah, that I love too, but that we have here, so I don't have to try to make that, thank God. But the cucumbers are similar to that, but it's cucumbers instead of daikon. It's cucumbers instead of cabbage with kimchi. So it's a little bit spicy. It's got a little bit of a kick, but it's really sour, and it's got the crunch of a cucumber. It's so good. It sounds good. I it's, want really, it's really good. <laughs> if there are any Japanese stores in Prague, which there probably are, check it out. See if they have yeah. Absolutely, there are not. Nah. <laughs> I would There's send you some, but again, it's I just found it, so I'm pretty happy to have found it. It's kind of far away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But my gosh, yeah, fermented stuff has, has grown on me, no pun intended. But okay, so <laughs> we should move on to the bike one. I love bike photos. Yay. All right. So this is a photo of me. I'm trying to look like a model and I'm sitting on a motorbike. It's like yeah. a scooter and I'm sitting like on the edge of a beach and out in the distance, you can see sort of like a planty beach. And then you've got like the beautiful crystal blue waters of uh, the Gulf of Thailand. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. The, I think living in Thailand, the reason I chose this picture is uh, two reasons. One, Thailand, as well as all of Southeast Asia, is gorgeous, Mm -hmm. just beautiful. And there are so many places that are natural and untouched, certainly by foreigners, but just don't have a lot of people. They're not overly developed that are so beautiful and look like postcards. Mm -hmm. And you you wonder like, do those places actually exist? Or when you show up, will it just be covered in resorts? And are they waiting till all the people leave the beach to take that photo? No, <laughs> there are places like this that exist that are empty and you can go driving around all day long on your motorbike and looking at empty beaches and it's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. I discovered that while living in Thailand. And I also discovered that I love driving motorbikes. Oh, I miss it so much. <laughs> I haven't ridden in years and I'm seriously in withdrawals. Uh, it's so fun. I think it's, I mean, I'm sure it's dangerous. And, uh, see, and you're good because you have a helmet. I can see your helmet in the picture. I, yeah, do- I always try to get a helmet, but you yeah. never know if these are real helmets or if they're right. just kind of like decorative. <laughs> I did long stretches of no helmets though. I, I was yeah. a very bad person. It's, it's not safe, but neither is driving without a license. And hey, I don't have one. So I know. Well, actually, in Taiwan, I went through the process to get a license, but I didn't in Vietnam. I didn't when I visited Thailand. Like, yeah. And again, I we were talking about this before we started the call. I wouldn't. I'm really glad I did all of that earlier because I think now I finally reached that point where I'm like, mm, I think I'd pass up on it or go back to the U.S. Get my license, then go over back to what? No, I don't think I would do that either. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's the safety issue and I absolutely would never condone driving without a license or driving yeah. without a helmet. How did you feel when you wrote? I don't drink and drive. So yeah. that's certainly an issue too, but like, yeah. I just love it. Yeah. I think it's so much fun and I stay out of situations that I'm not capable of doing. Like uh, okay. people with a lot of motorbike experience, they can drive through mud. They can, I will just avoid all of that. I want to be on a nice road, like nothing crazy. Not motor because okay, what kind of bike is this? Is this like 50? This is bigger than 50 cc. Is this like one? I think probably 75 or 100. They they usually are right around there. Did you ever see the documentaries like Long Way Around or Long Way Down? No, what's that? Ewan McGregor, the the movie star. If yeah, Yeah. um, 
him and his friend who I never remember, Charlie something, they, not on scooters, on motorbike, on motorcycles, like hardcore motorcycles, rode like long way around, you can imagine, is like this way around the world and long way down is like, and I forget the countries they went to, but it's, uh, and they took a crew with them. And so they're showing you like each country that they're going through, they're showing you the shots as they're uh, motor cycling through them. And it's, and they're funny. Ewan McGregor seems like a genuinely nice, funny person. And the banter between the two of them is really fun. And oh my God, it's just vicariously traveling in the world on these guys' bikes. And some of the situations they get into, like the stuff in Russia is just crazy. You're just like, this is not really happening. You guys have staged this, right? No, no, no. Long way down, long way around. Yeah. I want to, I want to see that. That stuff looks interesting to me and I do love driving motorbikes, but Mm. I don't know anything about fixing them. So I'd be worried about doing a distance ride because Mm. I don't think like I'm just, I'm still learning how to fix bicycles and taking long rides on a bicycle. So I'm worried about a motorbike because like, I guess in the Thai countryside, there's always a house. There's always somebody that knows somebody that knows how to do things, but I don't, I guess I don't like to depend on the hospitality of like others. Like if my bike breaks down, what happens to me? Where do I sleep that night? I don't know. It's kind of creepy to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I've only gone in group trips where somebody in the group knew what to do or where to go or how to fix a tire and how to check for this and that. Or with my husband who he had Minsk, which was really bizarrely popular in Vietnam. It's this like, it basically was like, did you ever, did they have these in Thailand? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. It's like in Vietnam perhaps, but yeah. For the, for the listeners, it's basically this, I think Russian agricultural vehicle that is like, it looks like a big clunky motorcycle. Yeah. But it's like super old fashioned. So everything's done manually. So if it breaks, you can get in there and fix everything. And so he learned how to do that because most of his trips were on that with his friends who also had the Minsks and blah, 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 blah. So he knew how to fix stuff. So I would go with him, but I didn't. a bit of a mechanic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he had, this time that he had gotten to be like, do like manual labor kind of stuff. So he really, he dove in deep. He was like, you know, teacher doing like teaching during the day and then getting his hands dirty at night. And he was, he was, Loving it. That's exactly who it's for, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was like, no thanks. I want my fi- my 50cc, I think it was. And I, I just want to ride around until it breaks and then go rent a different one and whatever. I'm, I'm very, I don't even, I didn't even want gears. I'm like, I want like, this is go, this is stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go up and down the coastline. And exactly. Back to like the main city. Yeah. I'm, I'm not... I'm not going anywhere crazy. No, no. I want the wind. I want the sun and I want the scenery. Like in this picture, I want to see stuff that's just gorgeous. I don't want to see people away from the main drag. I want to see people away from the tourists. I want to see, not the tourist areas are bad, but I just, I want to see people in their daily life. Yeah. 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 And the, the nice thing about Thailand is that most Thai people really don't want their skin to get darker they kind of think the beauty ideal is like really light skin yep so all day long in the daytime no one's outside so you can go to the beach and i'm laying out trying to get a tan and everyone else is avoiding the sun like it's yes oh yes 
I used to wear tank tops in, ta- in Taiwan when I first got there all over. Actually, I wore them the whole year, but the first few months I would listen to people as they'd be like, hey, hey, hey. And they'd warn me, oh man, you're going to get dark. And I was like, I know, I'm so excited. And we were both confused. And yeah. of course I had to ask my boss and he's like, oh, don't you know? I'm like, no, I just moved here. <laughs> so yeah, so it was, it was funny. Hey, expats and geopats, what do you do with the annoying paper mail that you get? to your old addresses in your home country. For a few years, I'd have all of my mail forwarded to one friend and then I'd feel guilty for bothering them so much. So then I'd have a family member deal with my mail and so on and so forth. And I did this for about like, what, 12, 13 years. And it got annoying and let's face it, I miss some mail because people have better things to do then look after my paper correspondence. So I finally broke down and got a service from traveling mailboxes. They will literally receive your mail. You get a US address, you get to pick the city that it's in, and you receive mail. And they'll let you know when mail comes in, they'll open it, scan it for you so you can read it. If you really need to, they'll forward it to you for a fee. You can also get packages delivered as well. And so there's like a variety of different services that you can have where you don't have to keep bugging your friends and family to deal with your paper mail. So if you go to stephfuccio.weebly.com, it's S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. If you go to the bottom, you'll see the blue ad on the right, Traveling Mailbox. Click on that. I am now an affiliate program with them, so if you join their services, we both end up very, very happy campers, and you never have to ask your friends or family to receive your mail again. It's truly a beautiful thing. Okay. Okay. So that's all the pictures. And again, listeners, you can see them in the show notes. You can click on the links and see these for yourself. So I've got like little notes next to each one. Just like I tried to put like one word from what you were talking about while you're describing it. And Mm -hmm. I've got posh politics, legal, wet boundaries, senses, freedom. (laughs) That's pretty good. I don't know if that, you didn't even, yeah, you didn't even say a lot of those things. I was just trying to kind of summarize some of the stuff you were saying, but I think, I think, um, I think that captures a lot. I think it's when I moved there, I didn't, I had no, I didn't know anything about Asia. So mm-hmm. looking at these pictures, mm-hmm. I think it really brings back sort of a, a, first of all, a feeling of like awe and wonder at mm-hmm. my first time seeing like an extremely, extremely different way of life, a totally different culture, Eastern versus West, all of that stuff that people say is real. And Mm -hmm. I think seeing a different culture, learning all about it. I learned so much that Mm -hmm. year. Like I look at these pictures and I think I know things about that shrine behind me in Cambodia. I know Mm -hmm. why there are elephants there. I know what's going on. And, and even the people in the protest, I can tell you all about what, you know, what the news said about what they were marching for and who was Mm -hmm. actually protesting against them at the same time. And Mm -hmm. I think I just learned a lot about how the world works. Mm -hmm. I think I learned to appreciate that my point of view is not superior, is not able to even comprehend some of these things looking in from the outside, even as an expat, I can sit there and see people pass by my condo and I'm untouched by what's going on for them in their country. And for them, it's something very serious. 
Right. And so I think I, I learned a lot about what it is to be an expat. Sure. Um, now we didn't talk about the exact, uh, for all of the, the seven pictures, we didn't talk exactly about where they were in relation to each other, but they're all from the first year in Thailand, right? Yeah, they're all from my first year in Thailand. Most of them are from places in Bangkok, in the capital. The beach pictures in Kanam, which is in the south of Thailand on the Gulf side, it's a part of the country. Oh, it's near the city of Nakhonsi Tamarat, and sort of out of the way. It's not where it's not a place that a lot of tourists go, so it looks a little different than some of the developed areas. And then Isan is the northeast part of the country, which I thought was important to go. I wish I had time to go more, um, yeah. but I, that was my one trip to that part of the country. So. Yeah. yeah. yeah, So at one point you said there were things that you didn't want to get used to, but you did. Was there anything that you never got used to? Yeah. I mean, it's not really portrayed in these pictures, but I'll just mention it briefly because it's also something I don't fully understand. There is a sex industry. industry. In Thailand, Mm -hmm. it absolutely exists. It is illegal. Mm -hmm. And I've got a lot of conflicting views on what goes on there. There's an image of like the expat, the Western expat that goes to Thailand to partake in that. Very real. You see it a lot. Sexpat. Sexpat, yeah. Like Mm -hmm. an older white man going to have a girlfriend, have a wife, have some kind of tryst with a younger mm-hmm. Thai woman and or guy mm-hmm. and or possibly young, young. There are things that you see. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly one thing that you would see often in the street. And you wonder if, is it transactional? Is it purely a business relationship? Mm-hmm. Is it equal? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, on one hand, I want to be very sex positive and say that sex workers are workers. And mm-hmm. if that's the job they choose, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I want to say there are economical factors that play into it. So did they have another viable choice? Not right. sure. Right. Um, I certainly heard both sides mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of People say, well, the woman is getting out of it what she wants and the guy is getting out of it what he wants. And anyway, yeah, it's something that's really, really complicated. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, going into it. I think I had a viewpoint of like, ew, that's icky coming out of it. I think I see that there are some women that are having the upper hand in some of those situations and good for them. They should take everything they can get if that's what they're going to do. Yeah, sure, sure. And yeah, but it's it's one of those things that I never was 100% comfortable with seeing. Right. And yeah, you do get used to it after a while and you know, I had friends that were older white guys, like what what are you going to do? Like that's who's there. I had friends that were young Thai girls that had an older boyfriend, like right, foreigner boyfriend. So Sometimes the dynamic seems normal and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just more prevalent there than what I had seen in the circles that I ran in, in the United States. So yeah, it's complicated. I've known having lived in Northeast, Southeast and Northeast Asia for a while. And especially in Southeast Asia, I've met so many men and I was just, just, you know, friends or at work or whatnot. And as soon as they'd say my vacation in Thailand or my, I'm going back to, you know, I've got a girlfriend in Thailand and I was like, Oh, 
because it's just all kinds. It's it's hard not to once you hear enough about the industry, not to make assumptions and not to judge. And I'm like, stop judging. It could be completely legitimately a romantic relationship. Sure. Could be, but, but yeah, it's probably not. But it could be. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so right. The weird place you end up in. I recently had a a friend's father ask me questions about Thailand because he had a friend his age Uh who was going there to be an English teacher. Friend happens to be very religious. I knew him from when I used to attend church. Okay. I was honest and I said, look, Uh I think this is why your friend is going to Thailand because Uh I don't know anybody 65 years old, retired, divorced man that wants to see the world alone if it doesn't involve companioning yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and yeah. and on one hand, you got to say, like, he's entitled to look for companionship. If he can't find it, who's yeah. what's wrong with Thailand? I don't know. Yeah. On the other hand, I just, there's an honesty level. If you say that's why you're going, then I understand. If you pretend you're going to start a new career, I just, mm, I don't buy it. No, <laughs> especially since the pay in Thailand is so incredibly low for English teachers. So it's, it's yeah. not like it's not that everybody needs to save money all the time and, and live a lavish lifestyle, but it's, it's barely subsistence is really, really low. Um, it clearly has ulterior motives and yeah. to pretend that that's not there is dishonest and just yeah. silly, especially after having lived there and seeing how prevalent some of that is, is for sure. I don't for know sure. who you're fooling, but anyway. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tough. It's tough. There's certain things that I've, I've experienced and seen and, and heard of in different countries. And some of them I've had to just go, okay, I'll never understand that, or I'll never get that, or I'll never really know why that has come to exist. But then there's plenty of that in my home country as well, <laughs> especially right now that I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> sure. So yeah, it's yeah, I don't know if I should feel like uh, I've never been put in that situation where I've had to consider that as an option. So I, it's, I'm just so far away from having thoughts about it that involve myself that I don't know how to feel about it. So sure, sure. No, I I completely completely understand. On it, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure what's the right thing to do. I me neither. Me neither. It's comp. It's complicated. And of all the options that you mentioned before, as to like why the women might be doing it, it might be a combination of a lot of them mixed together. I mean, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Man, oh man. Okay, so in the first year in Thailand, did you do you think you took more pictures than in the years after that, or the same amount, or less? I think I took more pictures in my first year in mm-hmm. Thailand because. Because everything was so new and different to me. A lot, a lot of, you can't tell from the pictures I've shared here, but mm-hmm. most of my pictures are of food. Mm-hmm. So if you're hungry or if you're not hungry, feel free to like scroll my Instagram. Oh my God. Seriously. A lot of food. Listeners, listeners eat something and then go to Allison's Instagram feed and then drools a little more, but, but don't go hungry. It's dangerous. I've done it. It's bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm that person that's like, don't touch the food. I need to take the photo first. <laughs> but 
I, I really do it because I have a respect for the people that put time and effort into making the food. And I have a respect for the people that put time and effort into providing that food for them to make. Sure. Um, a lot of it takes years and years of practice, even street food. It's usually somebody who's been at it for decades. Oh, and yeah, um, I have a lot of respect for it. And so I appreciate what's going on. I want to take pictures of the food. So um, I took a lot of pictures because a lot of it was very new to me in my first year. Yeah. And then sort of I stayed there for another three and a half years in Thailand and did a lot of traveling throughout Asia. So mm-hmm. I think as I got used to seeing things, they become normal to you. And then you sort of stop taking pictures of the beautiful golden shimmering temple mm-hmm. because you've seen hundreds of them. Yeah, I think it fell off. But I think for my first year, I was amazed at everything. And yeah, um, that's something that every expat understands, I think, is mm-hmm. when you first go somewhere, you notice all the little differences, um, even in the shopping malls, mm-hmm. even in the oh, yeah. systems, all yeah. the little differences that are interesting to you. What's allowed on the metro and what isn't. Yeah. Um, just weird little things that are different and I think that's part of why we like to move to new places is um, have that educational experience with our eyes and every Mm -hmm. single day going out into something new and thank goodness for digital photography now because when I had to do this with uh, with old-fashioned film it was excruciating I had to really think can I afford this photo is it worth developing (laughs) and I'm really glad that decision does not need to exist anymore because it was frustrating I mean, these, I have this phone and it's not the greatest phone, but I always, I always opt for my phone to be a better camera than it is a phone mm-hmm. because I mostly just like taking photos mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's really nice to just carry it around in your pocket. It's really cool technology. It's fen- phenomenal. Phenomenal. What kind of photos do you take now? Is it the same kind as what we're looking at here? Or has it changed a lot? So there's been a big shift for me. So I've now been living in Prague for about four months. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just moved to Central Europe after five years in Asia. And my pictures are taking a big shift from food photos to architecture photos. Mm. For, For two reasons. One, the food is not pretty here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, it's like stuff on a plate. It's not colorful. It's all right. sort of like a gray beige spectrum of color. Um, it's good, but it's not pretty. So I don't right. do as many food photos here. Um, and then also the food is very similar, I find, from country to country. So we've got mm-hmm. potato dumplings in Czech Republic, in Poland, in Ukraine, in Russia. So those are all going to look quite similar. Sure. Whereas in Asia, going from country to country, every meal was mm-hmm. quite unique. And right. you could learn about it and take a photo of it. And it was very different. So um, what I'm finding here is a lot more mixture of architecture. Mm-hmm. So whereas in Asia, the architecture within the region or within the country I was in would be pretty similar city mm-hmm. to city. The temples yep. were all looking more or less um, with the same you know, the same style of decoration mm-hmm. and the same sort of building structure and things like that. Yeah. Um, whereas here in Europe, there's been a lot more, I guess Prague is more of like a, what's the right word? Like it's kind of like a spot in Central Europe where a lot of people passed through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of wars and there's been a lot of 
people from far reaches of the earth coming here and making a living and depositing some of their culture and taking some local culture away with them. And so I think the architecture is a little more interesting here. Mm-hmm. Parts of Prague look like Paris. Parts of Prague look like Vienna. Parts of Prague look like the English countryside. I don't know. It's very, it's different. It's a totally different look than what I've been looking at for the past five years. And so I'm, I'm taking little pictures of all of those eras of design and architecture and noticing them more. For sure, for sure. What my first like weekend in Prague, I was walking around with this guy from the hostel who was a photographer and he's like, here's what you need to do. And he's like, look at the tops of the buildings because the tops have like different statues and whether they be like faces or people like full like bodies, bodies statues or what have you he's like the tops of the buildings have the coolest part of the whole building like it would be a gorgeous building but it's better at the top and so I ended up walking around Prague just like this the whole time like I'm gonna get run over but damn that's beautiful (laughs) yeah I think it's cool and there's like um, random modern buildings in the middle of historical areas that look really cool and you know juxtaposition happens a lot more here Yeah. yeah yeah I think it's cool Very cool. Very cool. Is there anything like looking through these seven photos? Is there anything that surprises you about them? Um, I guess, you know, like I said, I think I look at some of these and now they look very normal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw so many empty beaches after that first year. I saw so many (laughs) wonderful food carts. I saw so many more song grand festivals mm-hmm. and shrines and temples and protests. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they look a lot more normal. Whereas at the time, I thought they were sort of shocking and different. Well, they are different compared to where you came from before that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what it's about. That was what was new to me, and it's nice to look at them now and see a sort of something familiar and comforting. Sure. Um, because it means that I spent enough time there to feel at home and mm-hmm. I see, you know, I see the food and I see the people and I see my street and it feels very familiar. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Yeah. Hopefully Prague will feel like that to me someday too. Oh, absolutely. I talked to somebody recently and they said that their photos are a direct reflection of how they're feeling at that moment. Is there anything in these photos that could give a glimpse of, the emotional side of being a first year expat? I think I left a lot behind when I left for Thailand. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the States, I had a serious career. Mm -hmm. I was working a lot. I was spending almost all of my time in the office, between Mm -hmm. the office and home. Mm -hmm. Uh, My friends and my social circle revolved around work. Mm -hmm. And um, I think And I had some like family stuff going on. And when all of that was taken care of was when I was free to go to Thailand. And I think I see these pictures and Mm -hmm. I see like, I'm smiling. I Mm -hmm. see, like you said, I see freedom of me on the motorbike. I Mm -hmm. see laughing and playing in the street drenched with water. Yeah. I see this sort of carefree feeling that for me is about, that's what I was feeling for my whole first year. I was feeling carefree, stress-free, sort of a lot of potential going forward and, and feeling very free from the things that I left behind. Yeah. And, and I think I can see it. Yeah. And it definitely looks like someone who's just, who's 
really, really paying attention to what's happening around them, but really enjoying it. Like that comes through loud and clear in these pictures is this is interesting. This is interesting. This is interesting. And like kid in a candy store kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I felt, I, that's what I felt like. I felt like a kid in a candy store. And did you have any culture shock in Thailand at any point? Uh, the, well, okay. You mentioned the, the kids, the kid, the, the child working on the streets. Yeah, I, I think that's, that kind of thing never goes away. Yeah. I think you have good days and bad days and good months and good years. And, and potentially you always have like a bad day. Yeah. Some days you just, you know, you know, I spent a really long time and a concerted amount of effort to speak Thai, to read and write Thai. And, you know, four years later, I'll still try and order something at a restaurant and the waiter won't understand what I'm saying. And it's because I'm saying it wrong because yeah. the tone is not correct because though I've worked at it for years, I'm doing yeah. something wrong that day. And, mm-hmm. and I think that never goes away. The frustration, that feeling of like, why isn't this working? How, how long does it take until I'm 100% comfortable here? And the answer is I'm, I'm not, I'm a foreigner and I'm an expat and right. um, that may never happen. And that's part of living here, but the rest of the time, the majority of the time is lovely. So yeah, I think I always had a little, little feeling of culture shock. Some days I didn't want to come down out of my condo because I didn't relish the idea of going to the 7-Eleven and asking them not to give me a plastic bag and then going home with three plastic bags, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> always have that, that feeling like it's not quite going your way and you, and you know, it's your fault, but mm-hmm. you're not sure how to fix it. And so, yeah, I think that stayed with me. I think it's amazing that you realized that it was not your fault, but that it was your, whatever you were bringing in that was causing the friction. Cause for the, for the first few months in Taiwan, my first Asian country, I seriously was like, you guys are all batshit crazy. This is clearly not me that's the problem. You're clearly the problem. And here's how you need to fix this. And oh, wait, I don't want to spend time on that. Never mind. I'm going to go back online and deal with people that are more interesting. Like I was completely convinced they had it wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, some people <laughs> say like, oh, they're they're pretending they don't understand me on purpose. And I understand that feeling and it comes from yeah. a place of frustration. But Sure. That's not very like 99% of the time they're not yeah. understanding you because you're not saying it correctly. You're not doing it correctly. Yeah. There's something about what you're doing as a foreigner that they don't understand truly. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's important for foreigners to remember. Yeah. yeah. That's something you have to get comfortable with. I'm much less judgy now a few bazillion countries later. And I was like, oh, I've traveled so much in Western Europe, you know, I've just, yeah, no, it's tough tough to admit that you're wrong. It's tough to admit that you're wrong. Four years later, still can't order. (laughs) Like it's, I mean, it's just, yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 Some things get easier and some things just don't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's really interesting that we're having this conversation while you're smack, well, not smack dab in the middle, almost in the middle of your first year in Prague. Yeah. Is there anything from your experiences in that first year in Thailand that you're pulling over and kind of informing your first year in Prague with? Yeah. So I think I am much more forgiving to myself Mm -hmm. and to everyone around me um, Mm -hmm. with all of these situations. I know from Thailand that things can be frustrating, that 
visa situations can be frustrating. I'm mm -hmm. in the middle of a weird visa situation now waiting for my student visa for my master's program here in Prague. Mm -hmm. But I'm really, I've learned this. I don't know if it's a Thai attitude, but they've got a couple of sayings like my pendrai and sabai sabai and everything is just mm -hmm. relaxed. Everything could be going wrong, but you just have to wait it out. And I think that mm -hmm. that is helping me a lot. Yeah, um, this move. And I think it's something that all expats have to learn. But um, yeah, I'm just sitting back and trying to enjoy the things that are going well and yeah. hoping the other things fix themselves. <laughs> yeah. Taking the long view. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's easy when you're new to a place to just kind of erupt or melt down or just kind of go, rah, why isn't this working? But to, to think this is just the beginning, going to be here for a while. Things will get sorted out, generally speaking. Yeah. If I've done things wrong, it's okay that other people are not the quickest. Mm -hmm. Just let it all happen. Exactly. Especially the quickest part. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Impatient is, impatience is definitely not an expat's best friend at all. <laughs> and it's funny because in the U.S., things don't happen fast either. No. But I think... Um, you know, like I think about the DMV or any kind of government mm -hmm. office, like that stuff doesn't work well in the U.S. Why did I expect it to mm -hmm. work well anywhere else? I don't know. Right, right, right. No, me too. And I was like, well, it's so much more efficient. No, it's not. What am I thinking? Yeah, just it is. It's a cultural thing because in the U.S. we feel we get this like feeling of indignance and we actually lash out and are rude to a lot of customer service mm -hmm. people. Mm. And we can yell at people and we feel the customer is always right. And that doesn't work in other countries. So I think you lose that ability to take it out on somebody. And um, unfortunately, I don't think yeah. we should be doing it as much in the U.S., but we do. Yeah, I've experienced it uh, as a customer service rep, but I don't generally do that to people because it's just it's still a person. And they're certainly not the ones who generally made the mistake in the first place. Um, I definitely get frustrated, but I try not to lash out at people. It's so wrong. <laughs> it's so wrong. Yeah. But I know what you mean. It's very easy, especially if you're sending like email correspondence or contacting on social media. There's a difference between there's a problem and you freaking do, 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 do. what the hell's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I have to fix this right away because I'm, I'm having issues because of it now. I can't access this and that. And you're allowed to sort of get upset. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I've completely lost that. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. And in fact, in other places, it makes them worse. So yeah. Now yeah. I'm just really, really extra nice to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And there's definitely a set, even though I didn't really do that very much in the US, there's, I am more patient and there's kind of a separation between this messed up situation that I'm trying to get through right now. And that person who's probably a lovely person sitting in front of me who didn't create it. And I do, like I learned from my husband, he, he'll he just start banter. Like, how are you doing today? Are you having an okay day? Like, he'll just start talking to them like a person. I'm like, oh my God, why have I never, not to try to manipulate the situation, but just like, look, I know this isn't you. We're going to get through this and you're a person. So I'm going to talk to you as a person while we're waiting for that to get worked out. And it's so beautiful. It's such a, it's like, I seriously think he was a genius. The first few times I saw him do that, I was like, you're so human. <laughs> like, I'll just stay in business mode and just be like trying to push through to get the transactions to work. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, Oh, we can be personable in this moment. Yeah. Such I a, had a weird experience 
So in the U.S., a lot of times when you call, you'll get somebody on the phone in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about it too much until I went to the Philippines for a couple of months to stay there. Mm-hmm. And then when I was calling my bank back in the U.S. and someone was picking up in like the middle of the night answering me, I knew they were in the same city as me. Like I knew they were in Manila. I could tell from their accent. And I knew the buildings and the areas where they were working. And for some reason, it made me friendlier to them because I was like, oh, I, you're my neighbor now. You're not like a customer service agent across the world that doesn't understand my situation. Like, you're actually my neighbor. Yeah, it was kind of odd. <laughs> so it's, it's a beautiful thing because like part of the goal of this podcast is to show folks, look, there's stuff that happens the first year and it's sometimes it's shocking and sometimes it's amazing. It's kind of more extreme emotional roller coaster sometimes, but there's so much that you can learn that you can apply, even if you just go home straight after that year, or if you go to another country, stay in the same country, there's just so much accelerated growth that can happen when you're overseas that you just can't get staying in one place. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, and I think you you get comfortable somewhere and then some people like you get the itch like you want to go somewhere new. Why? Because you get to have that feeling again where mm-hmm. everything's new and you look around and you notice every tiny thing and it's all very interesting and educational again. Yeah. It is cool. It was very cool. I'm definitely slowing down, but I love that that first few weeks during that honeymoon period. It's beautiful. Nothing can go wrong until it does. <laughs> it's, it's so beautiful. I think I think for me it was even more intoxicating than falling in love. It was just like places, cities. If I could date cities, I would have in my 20s and 30s. <laughs> think about it, like dating. And then if you get in a long-term thing, it can last until you're kind of ready to move on. Like, <laughs> it's a lot like dating. It is a lot like dating. Yeah. There's a funny story I found randomly online one day that was like, uh, she was, com- the woman was comparing uh, the city she used to live in, which funny enough was San Francisco as her, she called it her ex-boyfriend because she had moved overseas and she had seen how, why she wanted to leave after she left. She was like, this is why, cause this and this and this wasn't working and I'm much happier here. So it's kind of like my ex-boyfriend, like I'll be tempted to go back with him cause there's so much connection, but I don't really want to go back with him. You know? So there's this like push and like pull with the city. But it's not good for you. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so glad she coined that. Cause I, I have that experience with places. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think places, um, you know, like relationships, they fit into a certain part of your life. Mm-hmm. And when they're over, you're kind of like, oh, I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's it all makes sense. You're like, that was good for me at the time. And it's never happening again. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's very similar. Do you, having said that, the whole phrase, you know, you can't go back. Are you going to go back to Thailand after a while? Possibly. So, so now I've got this, I've got two years to finish my master's mm-hmm. degree. And then the idea is to go back into NGO work. The way they place you with NGO work is probably based a lot on your language skills. I speak Spanish and I speak Thai. So mm-hmm. I'm probably looking at Latin America or mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, the mm-hmm. hub being Bangkok. So 
I'm more than happy to go back. I also might be going back this summer for some work. I still have clients in Thailand. So um, I'm happy to go back. I love Bangkok. I think it's really cool. And I will go back for the rest of my life as long yeah. as I can. Because um, though I may live in other places, yeah. I always love that city and love Thailand and have friends there and everything. So yeah, I'm always happy to go back there. Yeah. Aww. So Thailand. What's that? That's not one of the negative exes. No, I was just going to say, this is not an ex-boyfriend. This is more like a best friend that you keep in contact with, with whatever social media is available at the time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Amazing. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun to do. This was fun. You're really, you're, you're so easy to talk to about it and you ask all the right questions. So thanks. It was really nice to go back through it and see my first year in Thailand. That was nice. Thank you for taking me on that journey. This is awesome. I love looking through your photos and seeing the different things through your eyes. And there's just the connections to all the different parts of the things that you noticed, even in just selecting these photos in just a couple of minutes. It just, it's such, it seems so curated. (laughs) Way up there. Yeah. Yeah. People like that. Thank you so much, Allison. Seriously, you you done this. That in was such really way. fun. I appreciate it. This is awesome. So thank you for joining us today. Cause that really yeah. Again, I welcome and encourage guests on this podcast. So please do contact me if you have a first-year experience that you'd like to reflect on in your current day state. You don't have to currently still be living in the same place. There does need to be some time distance between when you experienced that country and that first-year experience and where you are now. It doesn't need to be as long as my, my 13 or 14 years is from this experience, but there does need to be some time after the first year ended. Contact me for more details. I would love to hash that out with you and have you be a guest on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Expat Rewind. More coming your way soon.